talk about spiritual warfare, we got to remember every day we live in the midst of a real personal battle that we must fight. Failure to fight that battle can result in this painful defeat again and again and again. Dedicated Christians often are confused and feel downtrodden because they they don't understand why they just keep in the same cycle over and over and over and they experience failure over and over and over. Just when they think they've got something conquered, it rises back up to defeat them again. So I guess we ask ourselves, why? Which is really what Ephesians 6 is about. One of the reasons that people fail is because they're just unaware of the battle. The enemy catches us unaware sometimes, totally unaware. We, we fail to take the reality that we're at war seriously. You know, um, when Osama bin Laden and Al-Qaeda declared war on the United States in 1995, how many of us took notice of that? They declared war on us in 1995, and they did a little here and a little there, and, and it was almost like, yeah, that's that group of crazy people. We didn't take it seriously, but on 9-11, we suddenly realized we better take this thing seriously, and today, it's even more serious than it was then. These people want to take over the world. We realize it is a war. We are in that battle. Christians are sometimes just going around their day with no thought to the war that rages around them for their soul spiritually. We get this, um, we get this callous attitude toward God's Word that says, God, if everything you said in the Word is, is true, then why is it that this gospel hadn't been powerful in me? Why is it that I'm still struggling with this? Why are these things not working? Lord, I'm claiming these promises. I'm, I'm quoting this scripture. Why is it not working? Not that the Word of God's lacking in power, but sometimes we just don't understand what kind of battle we're in. We really don't see the real battle that we're in. The only way for us to survive the battle that we are in, the war that we're already a part of, is to prepare for the fight. Ephesians 6, verses 10 through 18 Tell that story. Watch this. Use every piece of God's armor to resist the enemy in the time of evil, so that after the battle, you will still be standing firm. Stand your ground, putting on the sturdy belt of truth. For shoes, put on the peace that comes from the good news, so that you will be fully prepared. In every battle, you will need faith as your shield, to stop the fiery arrows aimed at you by Satan. Put on salvation as your helmet. Take the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. 
pray at all times and on every occasion in the power of the Holy Spirit. Stay alert and be persistent in your prayers for all Christians everywhere. Maybe a familiar passage to you. Putting on the armor of God, being prepared. We're going to talk about that today. Um, for several years, Master's Commission took trips to Finland uh, as we established a Master's Commission program, a couple of them in Finland. We had a lot of exchange students from Finland for several years here and uh, enjoyed that connection. Uh, we went on many occasions, usually in the winter. That was brilliant. And uh, I remember one of the places that we established a group was in Rovaniemi, which is on the Arctic Circle. And yes, we went in February. How about that? There's a story that we learned there that was just one of the most fascinating stories in the world to me. Um, this, is, this is way up there, and everything is white. It's, it's just absolutely beautiful there. And um, there's, a, there's a place right on the Arctic Circle, right on the little place where it says Arctic Circle. Napapiri, Arctic Circle. And there's a little place called Santa's Village. <laughs> it's the place that Santa Claus is from. And everybody, a lot of people in Europe go up there for, to, to be a tourist. And so I showed up there one day by myself. I just wanted to see Santa. And uh, I, I showed up there and I, I, I got there and I didn't realize that it closed at a certain time because there the sun goes down at like 3 o'clock in the afternoon. And uh, I got there just as it had closed, but the doors were still open. So I, I just sort of went in and walked around and I... I looked over there, and, and there's this big hall and then this big room, and I just kept going, and I walked in there. And it was a throne room, and it was the big Santa throne. And it was incredible. It was, it's awesome. And, and I'm just sort of looking at it, and I'm, I'm becoming a little kid again. And all of a sudden, I heard, hello. And I turned. It was Santa Claus, the real one. I'm talking the real one. He was huge. He was really big. He had a real, like, authentic beard. He had on the, the red suit, but it wasn't made out of, like, polyester or flannel. It was, it was made out of, like, reindeer skin that had been dyed red. And it had a little wool around it. And he had little glasses. It was Santa Claus. And I just, I remember... Look, you know, here I am. I was 40-something years old. I looked at and went, Santa. <laughs> Just like a little kid. I, and I said, you speak English. He said, I speak every language. I said, do you really? He goes, no, actually, just four. <laughs> and we, I sat down with Santa and we talked. We talked about everything. He had lived in the United States for a while, so he knew English quite well. And we talked about everything. And, and, and I said, why is this like Santa headquarters? He goes, well, the sort of the legend of Santa Claus uh, started in among the Lapland people here. And he said, this. He said uh, originally what it was was the, the Laplanders had a goat. And they called it the Yulipuki. And the Yulipuki... That means Christmas goat. 
at the Yulapuki, uh, you told the children, look, if you're bad on Christmas, the Yulapuki will come and stick you with his horns. So all the children were just scared to death. And right before Christmas, they would take a goat and pour red dye on him, except for his little white hangy-down beard. Think about it. And, and th- he would be in town. He would wander around town, and the kids would just be terrified. And they would be really good. And then later on, the, the Christian influence in the rest of Europe connected St. Nicholas, who gave presents to children. And it sort of flipped its way around, and, and the Yulapuki became the Santa Clausy. Now, some people think the devil and Satan is just some mythical invention to make kids be good, to somehow keep little children in line, or maybe little Christians in line. Maybe the devil is just, well, they just look at him as some kind of mythical invention. Hey, listen, I promise you, you can go to seminaries and hear that. But I want to tell you, there's another world, a spiritual world, just as real as the one you see with your physical eyes. There is a real enemy, a real devil, a real personal entity who's the source of sin and evil in this world, who is diametrically opposed to the rule of our Creator and our Lord Jesus. He is not Jesus' flawed brother, as the Mormons think. He is not God's equal from the dark side. The Bible is clear. He's a fallen angel. He led a rebellion against God in prehistory. He was booted from God's abode. And now he's still in rebellion against his creator. So you understand why in verse 12 Paul says our battle is not against flesh and blood. But against Satan and thousands of demonic personages of of darkness. Whoa. Suddenly this little battle that we're a part of becomes like a big epic crusade, not just a little battle, not just a little skirmish. Many well-meaning Christians, the word warfare, they go, ah, I just don't like to talk about warfare and killing and all. I believe that Jesus was, Jesus was the one who offered peace and tolerance. So I don't, want, I don't want to talk about warfare. Are you kidding? Paul was very familiar with the language of war And he was a Roman citizen, so he was familiar with the language of military terminology used in the Roman world. And that's what he did in Ephesians 6. That's why he used the terms that he used. You know why? Because whether we like it or not, and Paul recognized this, we're in the middle of a war. A spiritual one with huge consequences. We better fight spiritually or get wiped out. Satan has declared war on us. And we are fools if we don't prepare ourselves. Most people are just unprepared. According to Revelation chapter 12, Satan has failed to overthrow God, and he will forever fail in that obsession. But he has chosen to continue to fight God, and he does it through fighting his earthly creation. Most importantly, humanity. He is especially filled with hate. For the church of Jesus Christ, God's people. And he hates Christians. And he hates humans. And he hates anything that God loves. He hates you. He hates me. He hates this church. It's a war. 
John describes him as the thief who comes to steal, to kill, and destroy. The Old Testament calls him a crafty, smart, uh, sinister liar. Paul calls him the evil God of the world who blinds men from the truth. Peter calls him the enemy who prowls around seeking whom he may control. James calls him a pretender. All the Bible writers share one view of Satan. He's powerful, he's dangerous, and he's doomed. Do you hear that? He's powerful, he's dangerous, and he is doomed. God has declared him defeated. We know this is true, but we see things around us sometimes that tell us otherwise. He looks like a pretty formidable enemy to us. We know his future, but his present is sort of the problem we're dealing with right now. Sometimes it even seems insurmountable for us. I've had counseling sessions over the years where people basically say, Pastor Mark, I'm done. I'm just done. I can't fight anymore. I'm going to quit trying to fight it. I'm just going to give up. The devil's just too strong. I have, you don't know how many times I've actually had somebody say that to me. The devil's just too strong. The devil's just too strong. Christians are defeated because they're not prepared. They're just not prepared. They're not prepared. We become defeated when we're not prepared. We're unaware and we're not prepared. One of my favorite Christian writers is a guy named Leroy Imes. And uh, he tells this story that happened to him when he was in World War II. Um, he was in the Marines in the South Pacific. And uh, the story goes like this. Let me read it, read this part to you. Shortly after we hit the beach, our armored amphibious tank took two artillery shells broadside. We immediately evacuated the tank and darted from hole to hole toward the enemy positions which we had been ordered to take. The sergeant began to check on us to make sure we were okay after the attack. He crawled over to me and said, are you, are you all right, Imes? I answered, yeah, I'm okay, Sarge. He looked at me and said, Imes, where's your helmet? I felt the top of my head and answered, I think it's in the tank, Sarge. Where's your duty belt? Our duty belts carried ammunition for our rifles, a canteen of water, and a bayonet. Uh, must be in the tank too, Sarge. Imes, where's your rifle? He looked at me with disgust and pity. Because of my hasty departure from the amphibious tank, I was dressed about the same way I would be dressed to play a game of volleyball. And there I was, hopping from hole to hole, tree to tree, totally unprepared. Now that story is very similar to really what's going on in a lot of Christians' lives. Christians, many of us, have forgotten that the Christian life is not a playground, it's a battlefield. Instead, Christians often hop from hole to hole, church to church, looking for the best buffet, looking for the freest coffee. As a result, so many of God's people are not armed, equipped, and ready to wage spiritual battle. Now, we are engaged in spiritual warfare whether we like it or not. If we're going to be successful in our work for the Lord, we've got to be prepared to go to war. 
Now, in the passage in Ephesians we talked about, we're given insight into the battle and and the way we're supposed to fight this battle. It's the war of our lives. It's the battle of our lives. We are in the fight of our lives. And we must know how to prepare ourselves to fight. So, let's look at it. I've got some good news for you today. Our Heavenly Father has equipped us with everything we need to win this battle. So we're going to look at it, okay? I'm equipped. Everybody say it with me. I am equipped. Let me, let me just sort of, I'm going to sort of break this down uh, without giving you a lot of details, but sort of you, let you see the big picture. First of all, there's a list of defensive armor. A list of defensive armor. First of all, it mentioned a helmet. A helmet, obviously. Even today, army folks still wear helmets. That, it's called the helmet of salvation. It's the attack of the enemy on our mind. Do, do we think that we can fight the battle against the enemy and not do it with our mind? Is it just something we do with our heart and our feelings? Is it just something we do on Sunday? Or do we have to use our mind constantly? Satan attracts the mind, our, attacks the mind. Our mind is our most powerful attribute, and Satan loves to attack the mind. The helmet of salvation says this, I belong to Christ. I have the mind of Christ. I can renew my mind daily. Daily I can start thinking the way God wants me to think. And as I renew my mind daily, I begin to have more and more of the mind of Christ. Listen, don't try to fight the enemy without dealing with the mind. It's very important. The mind. I believe it's more important than people think about. Honestly, I heard somebody say one time, you will never change the way you live until you change your mind. That is true. The mind is where we choose to follow Jesus or not. God is not going to, sometimes we say this, sometimes we say, God just change my, change, change the way I am, change the way I think. God's going, hey, you with me on this thing? How about changing your mind that you want to change? How about changing your mind? How about saying, I'm not going to think this way anymore? How about putting your mind to it? Another defensive armor, breastplate. Ah, yes. The breastplate of righteousness, it protects the heart. It protects the heart. The scripture says, guard your heart. Our emotions, our passions, our love relationship with God, our breastplate is righteousness. That means that everything is all right between you and God, right standing between you and God. God is not judging you by what you did today or what you thought this morning. You are in right standing with God. In the middle of whatever you're going through, you can say, wait a minute, God and I have a love relationship. We are, to, we are okay. I'm okay with God. He and I are together on this thing. Righteousness. It's not our righteousness. If, we ha- if that breastplate that we wear was determined by how good we are, I would never have it on. But the breastplate is His righteousness on us. We, are, we, are, we belong to Him, and He has forgiven us and covered us with His righteousness. So take that devil. When he comes, comes at us and say, you sinner, you're not forgiven. Hey, I got the breastplate of righteousness on. The third part of defensive armor is a shield. Uh, that guards our weak spots. You know, that's what they, uh, a soldier in the 
in times past would do with the shield. He's not going to just have the shield there in one place. He's not going to wear it on his head or something like that. He's going to have it on his arm where he can, if an arrow's coming this way, he can do this. Or if a sword's coming this way, he guards his weak spots with the shield. And God lets us do that with what's called the shield of faith. He helps us guard our weak spots. Satan is trying to find your weakness and will try to exploit that very weakness. You ever heard of the Achilles heel? Now, that is not a biblical story, by the way. It's Greek mythology. But there's this, there's this guy named Achilles, and supposedly, and this isn't true, of course, you know this, but supposedly his mother dipped him in this special stuff to protect him, and she held him by his heel. And so the only part that didn't get dipped in protection was his heel. And so Achilles is out there fighting, and so an arrow hit his heel, and that's what killed him. It's like finding the Achilles heel is exploiting a weakness. Uh, sports teams do that. They try to exploit the Achilles heel, the weakness in the other team. That's what Satan does to us. He tries to exploit and look for weak points in our lives. Uh, this, week, this week was sort of a quite eventful week for uh, our, little, our oldest granddaughter, Sophia. Um, Sophia, who's... Uh, turning six uh, this year, <laughs> in, in next month, turning six, uh, Sophia was wrestling with Joel and Juliet and Grant all in a wad on the floor, just wrestling, having fun. And all of a sudden, just one little wayward kick by Grant with the back of his shoe knocked out her baby tooth right here, baby tooth. Thank you, Jesus. Baby tooth. Just pop. There it goes. Didn't even hurt her because it happened so quick. All they just heard, ah! And she's holding her tooth right there. And you think, wow, isn't that amazing? Just that one little kick, just in that one spot, that's what happened. Well, I promise you, four days later, four days later, somebody didn't mean to, but somebody just turned in their elbow, hit and hit the other tooth, and there went the other one. In a week's time, she lost. And by the way, neither one of them were loose. Neither one of them were loose. But she now is completely zero-toothed right there. Toothless. That was sort of, that was sort of like, what are the chances? It would hit those two locations in the same week. That's what the enemy does. He seeks the spot you never dreamed it would happen again, where lightning could never strike twice. Now, those are defensive armaments. Now, God's given us those. What about offensive armaments? Look at the offensive armor. First of all, we have a belt. Belts hold everything together. Somebody said the best offense is a good defense. And that's sort of what the belt is. It's sort of a mixture between offense and defense. But it's the belt of truth. Truth is the best ally we have. God's words are truth. They counteract the lies of the enemy. Don't you know the enemy lies? And remember, he lies to your mind. And what do you do? You offensively go against that by not just saying, Oh, God, I belong to you. I belong to you. But you, then you attack him with truth. That is a lie. It is written. And you tell him the truth. The truth. The truth is the greatest ally we have. I know in, in, in helping people go through deliverance, that is the number one ally when you're going through deliverance. You have truth. Truth sets people free. Truth. Then there's a sword. 
anchored on that belt of truth that holds everything together is the sword. It's called the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Yes, our weapon is Scripture. Guys, Scripture is not just suggestions from God. Scripture is not a manual to give us some general ideas that might help us in our walk with God. Scripture is powerful. Every word in it is powerful. It is powerful. Some people laugh about taking scriptures and putting them on the refrigerator and, and you know, sticking them on the wall or whatever. Why? It's powerful. Powerful stuff. Now, I know you can do things legalistically and it not change you. But the Word of God in your eyes and in your mind and in your heart will change you. It will change you. Memorizing God's Word will change you. Scripture, it's a powerful offensive weapon. Is that not what Jesus used when he was in the temptation of the wilderness? Didn't he quote God's word to the enemy? Isn't that the powerful thing? And the third one, shoes. Shoes as an offensive weapon? Well, it was with Grant the other day. But uh, that's not really what we're talking about here. The Bible says having your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. That means you're going forward, not backward. You're advancing. You know what the best offense is? To advance. To advance. To keep going. Our message, our ministry to the world, our purpose, the reason we were born. What an incredible offensive weapon. To know what God has called us to do and do it no matter what. Oh, that's an offensive weapon. Yes, it is. I remember back in the Back in the 80s, uh, probably in the, in the mid and late 80s, some of you remember when uh, there, were, there, were, there was a big battle between the pro-life and pro-choice uh, abortion forces in Birmingham. There was a clinic called Summit, um, Summit Clinic down, downtown that was an abortion clinic, and every year on the pro-life weekend, thousands of Christians would gather and march in front, so how many participated in that? There were lots of, we took our children, we took our children, probably scarred them because they're little, little kids, they're going, why are we doing this? Because they're killing babies in there. Boy, that, oh dear. <laughs> now you got to explain that. But, uh, you know, thousands of Christians would march by and they would stand there and, you know, hold clothes hangers and threat, you know, it was just, it was, it was, it was a, it, it was a big deal and nothing ever changed. <laughs> It was a big deal and nothing changed. Nothing changed. If it was an election, we would have won. If it had been a, a physical battle, we would have won. But it wasn't. It was thousands versus about 30. And nothing changed in Birmingham. And I remember, I remember a guy coming here, coming to Kingwood Church and preaching one time. And he, he wasn't a Pentecostal. He was someone, he was, he was in the pro-life movement. But he said, I remember him saying, we are not going to change this issue by marching. We're going to change this issue by meeting those ladies one by one and winning them to Christ. You know, not long after that, uh, a precious lady in our church, Jenny Doss, felt led of God to begin Save a Life Shelby, right here in Alabaster, Save a Life. And it began in Pastor Cox's office at, over at the old building. That's, that was the first counseling session was in his office, Jenny, and she won this lady to Jesus. And that's where Save a Life began. Now, Save a Life is this incredible organization that helps thousands of women every year. And we have turned the tide of what abortion is, not by just marching, 
We've turned the tide by marching forward with the message of Jesus. Do you see what an offensive weapon it is? It's almost like the, the march was just an advertisement. The weapon that we had, the weapon is the power of the Holy Spirit to change a heart. And has it been tough? Yes, one at a time. But that battle will be won. Already things have turned around. Already, you know, there is no abortion clinic in Birmingham right now. It's gone. It is gone. You know why it's gone? Because there weren't enough people going to it. Yes, hallelujah for that. Now, the danger we face is the notion we can choose which pieces of armor we need each day. You know, hey, you know what? I think today I'll guard my heart. I'll, I'll, I'll guard my heart. I'll go in. I'll do my devotions, and I'll, I'll sing that, that Carrie Job song. That's my favorite song. I love that thing. I'm telling you, Danielle, that was incredible. <laughs> that I know you're for me, best song ever written. Anyway, I'm going to sing that this morning. I'm just going to feel real good. I'm going to get my breastplate on. But I'm not worried about my mind today. I think I, I, think I don't really want to wear that helmet. It's a, little, it's a little heavy on my head there. And so I'm going to go out. After all of this, I'm going to go out. I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to watch some filth on the Internet. I think I'm going to go. Uh, I think I'm going to watch some filth. I'm not going to guard my mind today. And then we wonder why the enemy attacks in the place we're unprepared. If you go into battle, you don't pick what you're going to use. You, you, you get fully dressed. If any piece is missing, you step on the spiritual battlefield, Satan will attack that weak, unprotected area. That's why Paul said, put on the full armor of God. Oh, there's something else. Forgot to tell you. There's something else he's equipped us with. Yes, he's equipped us with defensive armor. He's equipped us with offensive armaments. Yep, we have a secret weapon, friends. We have a secret weapon. If you look at verse 18. And pray in the Spirit in all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. And then it says, keep praying. Then it says, pray for me. Then it says, pray for courage. Our secret weapon is called prayer. It's the greatest piece of equipment you can have. Do you realize we have the ability, because of the breastplate of righteousness and the helmet of salvation and the belt of truth and the sword of the Spirit and the shoes ready to do God's will, to walk into the throne room of God anytime and talk with Him face to face as a man would talk with his friend. What an incredible equipment He's given us to pray. We, it's like we have this private briefing room with the Holy Spirit. Our commander-in-chief, who, who runs us through the intelligence briefing. He knows what the enemy's up to. He knows it before the enemy knows it. And he is on our side. My goodness. I'm reminded of Exodus 33, when Moses and God talked to face to, to face. Uh, God appeared to have withdrawn his presence from the children of Israel while they were on their way to the promised land. He said, I'm only going to send angels with you. I'm mad. And I'm only going to send angels with you. I'm not going to go with you myself. And Moses said, Lord, if you don't go with us, we're not going. And God was very pleased. And God promised, I 
myself will go with you. And then he used this Hebrew word, one of my favorite. Pinai, it means, I will go with you side by side, shoulder to shoulder, face to face. That's how we go into battle. That's how we go into battle. Shoulder to shoulder with God. <laughs> with God. He's not sitting up there directing like this. He's like down here with us. That's our secret weapon. That's our secret. We see it in the Old Testament. Remember, remember when they were going into battle and they would take the Ark of the Covenant with them and everybody would go, ah, and run away because God's presence was with them. God, we have God's presence with us. The secret weapon. I'm talking about being equipped. How much better equipped can you be than for the God who knows and sees everything and is all-powerful lives inside of you? Wow. And he has promised this. I will never leave you or forsake you. I will be with you even until the end of the world. We're not alone. We have been thoroughly equipped for everything we might face in this life. Visible or invisible, we are not alone. Wow. <laughs> During the Korean War, there was an American battalion named Baker Company, and it was cut off from the rest of their unit as the North Korean enemy advanced. For several hours, no word was heard from Baker Company, even though headquarters repeatedly tried to communicate with the missing troops. Finally, a faint signal was received, straining to hear the corpsman ask, Baker Company, do you read me? This is Baker Company, came the reply. What is your situation, asked the corpsman. The enemy is to the east of us. The enemy is to the north of us. The enemy is to the west of us. And the enemy is to the south of us. Situation looked quite grim. Then after a brief pause, the sergeant from Baker Company said, Ha! We got them! They're not going to get away from us now! Although surrounded and outnumbered, he was thinking of victory, not defeat. We're not fighting for victory today. We're fighting from victory. We're fighting from victory. That makes all the difference in the world. Our commander-in-chief has already won the victory for us. All we have to do, listen, all we have to do is get up, dress in our armor, stand up, and await our marching orders because we are equipped and he will lead us to victory. We need to avail ourselves of the tools that he's given. We're in the fight for our lives, the fight of our lives, and the victory is ours. You are headed into the war zone today. Are you dressed for it? Let's bow our heads, please. Worship team, if you'll come up. Just bow your heads for just a second. Some of you this week have felt like 
you're in an unbelievable war. And you feel like maybe you're losing it. Maybe it's just not going well. And I want you to know today, the good news for you is that you are equipped. You are equipped and you can win. You can win by defensively knocking down the, the attacks of the enemy. You can go after the enemy. And you can utilize that secret weapon. The presence of God in your very life. say I've been in a war this week and I feel like I've lost today I need someone to agree with me that I will keep this war this battle going and I will win I'm going to ask the prayer team if you come on and join me